You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. Uh, if it's your first time here, we extend to you a very special greeting and so glad that you chose to be here uh, with us this morning. I, I have a mention, uh, uh, just a prayer request also to, to, to add to the ones that were given a little earlier. Um, I, as I was going to turn off my phone, you know that how it is when you realize, oh no, I haven't turned my phone off. So I was going to turn off my phone. My uh, sister-in-law, Linda Fale Talley's sister, Terry, um, texted and said that Marvin failed. Many of you know Marvin is just about, he's about to meet the Lord. He is uh, on his last hours, in his last hours. So just be praying uh, for their family, if you would. They have so graciously welcomed Allison into uh, the family. And if indeed he passes, we will likely be going down to be with them. So pray for the fails, if you will. A couple of announcements, a couple of things I want to mention. <laughs> um, next Sunday, January 21st, we're going to have special training for uh, home group child caregivers. Uh, we uh, need a lot of people to take care of our kids um, at, at home groups that meet all through the week. They meet Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights all around our area. And we have some very active kids, let's just say. So we're going to have a special training for anyone who would like to and you know, us pretty good cash uh, for those of you who are interested. But uh, in addition to having that need, if you're interested um, do we have a sign-up sheet? I should know this. Do we? we don't know. Just be here next Sunday afternoon. After, after church, we're going to have that session. I'm sure there'll be food provided. Uh, and I sure, I'm sure I may be in trouble for saying that, but there will be food next week, and we'll uh, do that training. But then also in mid-March, we're going to start our next Grace Connection class. If you've been coming to Grace for a while, you're thinking about membership, or if you would like to serve in some way, just encourage you to be a part of that uh, class. And students, I, I do want to say, if you're here and, and you're going to be here another year or two, you think this is the place the Lord has put you, please consider membership. You don't want to just come and not be known and, and go away. Nobody know you. You not really get to know anybody. God has Put us here to serve one another. I, I tell people who don't follow the board, it, it, look, you be generous. There are certain principles of life that just always prove to be true. Those who are generous receive much. And those who are stingy receive little. It's, it's not a prosperity gospel thing. I'm talking to people who aren't even believers. Give. Give a portion of your money, your time to, 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 to good causes. To those in need, if you are in this place, you're designed to be a part of the body. We're a building. We're all connected to each other and we're all tied to the cornerstone, but we're tied to each other. And if you're supposed to be here, we can't do without your giftings. So please 
uh, come to the Grace Connection class in a few weeks, and it'll, you'll just learn so much about church, about our doctrine, about the way things work, about the way God works in the world in that class. is some uh, give and take. Elders will be there. So um, we'll have sign-up sheets for that soon. But I'm telling you, we need students. Please help us. We have a policy that if you're a young family, you cannot join the church unless you have at least five children. It seems like that is the case. So we need extra talent. You know, so the proportion is not really good. We need extra uh, workers to help us in children's ministry and what a blessing that is. Uh, well, um, as, as also David mentioned early on, uh, the next three Wednesday nights, we're going to be having Grace Matters, uh, a, a, a session designed to talk about some of the issues that people are really interested in today and are not always easy subjects. Neil uh, Manning keeps bringing these ridiculous uh, ideas to us, like we're going to do women in ministry here pretty soon, and you know what our policies are, and so this is, but we need to talk about these things. Why do we function the way that we function? So these next three weeks, we're going to be talking about baptism, the Lord's Supper, and membership, and how it all ties together, and as I said last week, I'm going to say it again, there will be several things, some things, not several, but there'll be some things that we'll say, I don't know, we're still working through that, you know, we're still trying to determine the Lord's direction. And, and, and things are sometimes not as clear as we want them to be in Scripture, which gives us a lot of liberty as a church, but uh, it, you just almost wish it would be a little clearer. We knew for sure. And we'll talk about things that other churches believe, and we have very good fellowship with them, but we don't understand baptism or communion to be quite the same way that they do. So really important stuff um, on Wednesday night. If you have questions that you would like asked, get them to Neil Manning. His uh, email is on the, on, on the bulletin. Well, if you were not here a couple of weeks ago, and I know a lot of you were not here two weeks ago, to hear Sean Cross uh, preach from 2 Peter chapter 1, I, I would strongly encourage you to listen to the podcast. Go to the website jump online, listen to the podcast, and ask God to cause you to grow in grace this year by yielding and discipline and trust and service. All these different things that, as Sean talked about, God commands us. It's like, trust the Lord for this, but get to work. No, wait a minute. It's God working through you, but you should discipline yourself to do so. It's what Scripture gives us. He said it well. It's kind of like, Trust the Lord, but you do what you're supposed to do, but it's really not up to you. It's God working through you. How does it all work together? Uh, today, we're going to see some of the same sort of a, 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 a sense in, in Scripture. We're in the second of two weeks examining the Beatitude, Beatitudes which form an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount in our month in Matthew. Uh, in addition to listening to Sean's sermon, if you, if you want the introduction to this sermon, I'm not going to go back and cover the ground that it did last week, but it's really important stuff. You can catch the podcast on that also. While the Beatitudes are essentially pronouncements of blessings from the Lord, 
He's essentially saying, blessed are those who do this or who are this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or they will be blessed in this way or that way. They're just pronouncements of blessing. Even so, our hearts as believers are drawn to these things, and we say, well, that's, that's the way I want to be. I want to be this person that he's talking about. And so we desire to strive for that which only he can accomplish in us, as confusing as that sounds. So, um, this morning, we're going to see that one of the similarities in today's text from the last two weeks is the need for deep contemplation about the countercultural life to which believers are called. Look, we are swimming upstream. We really are walking. I, I think the, 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 the most crowded place I have ever been was in New York many, many years ago in Chinatown. It was so crowded. I've been in New York several times since. But on that particular day, the, the mass of humanity that was just coming. And there were times where, you know, you were walking against way, the way that most people were coming. And you just felt overwhelmed. And many times, that's really a good picture of the Christian life. We are walking against a mass of humanity that says, what are you doing? What are you, how can you think that? How can you believe that? How can you live that way? And we need to take time and contemplate and hear the Lord's voice. Because if we don't, we're hearing all the other voices. And they're going to eventually impact us. Meditation requires a level of silence with which most of us are frankly uncomfortable. Even introverts... A lot of times like stuff going on. You're reading, you're listening, you're just... We, 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 we need noise, partly because life is so painful and we want to forget about it. Uh, for the past month or so, the Holy Spirit has been nudging me about the distractions to which so many of you are given. Shame on you. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, when I'm convicted about your sins, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of another nature you know, that's convicted me. But I am deeply convicted about my own sins and my own lack of quietness. Allison and I have been reading Tony Reinke's book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. I mean, we're trying to read it together, which you would think would be no problem with our very um, light schedules. But full, full disclosure, we're just in the very early stages of this book. Uh, but the introduction by John Piper, it, that alone is worth the price of the book. It is a fantastic Introduction, and I thought that sharing the chapter titles with you may encourage you to buy this book and to think about your, the level of distraction that social media brings to you. One, we are addicted to distraction. It's just true, isn't it? We ignore our flesh and blood. Look, we're just as guilty as anybody else. Allison and I will go out to eat sometime, and we're both right there on our phones, you know. Used to be the newspaper, and it was usually the man. Uh, now it's both man and woman on, uh, on phones. We crave immediate approval. Which creates all kinds of issues, right? We lose our literacy. <coughs> 
Look, if your philosophy is shaped by Twitter, God help you. Help me. Help us all. We have, we, we, we've got to read. We have to read and read good stuff. We feed on the produce. We're not producing anything. We're just consumers. That's all. We become like, you know, like, you know, like what we like, you know, like. Uh, Allison's mom used to sit in church and count the number of times a preacher said, um. And look, I know you probably do the same for me. Um, 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 uh. Count like sometimes. I told one younger adult, you said like, like 10 times in that. And I think I was saying it like, like I meant to say. You said it like 10 times. Uh, and... It was my stepdaughter. She slapped me, and then after that, and I said, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to do it again. Number seven, we get lonely, oddly enough. We get comfortable in secret vices. No explanation needed. We lose meaning. We fear missing out. We become harsh to one another. And we lose our place in time. We lose all sense of history. And we think this age is the only age that really counts. The others, they, didn't, they weren't as enlightened as we are. No, all of this is making us far less intelligent and perceptive and discerning than the ages before us were. They may not have had the technology that we have, but they were much better off. As we go through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, I, I, I think you'll see how all of these devices and all their services get in the way of fleshing out the life that has been given to us in Christ. The title of the two messages from the Beatitudes is Upside Down. That's why... What kingdom values are upside down against the grain. They're totally opposite from the world's values. We covered the first four Beatitudes last week. And we'll cover the rest this morning. But we're going to read all of Matthew 5 verses 1 through 12. That's supposed to say Matthew 5, 7 through 12. Sorry about that. Would you please stand as is our custom for the reading of scripture. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds... Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. By the way, do you know that's the way they used to do it in, in, um, in the synagogues? If we did it like they did back in that day, I'd have a chair up here, and you'd stand through the whole sermon. Can you imagine that? Uh, Jesus sat down. Everyone else was standing. His disciples came to him, and then a whole lot of people overheard. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed or saved, as we talked about last week, saved are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, if indeed we are called to rejoice when we are persecuted, when we are reviled, when people uh, say false things about us, when we are thrown into jail, when we are shunned socially, when we are mocked because of our faith. If indeed we are to rejoice, then there's something far more about this life than meets the eye. So, Lord, um, may we look at these kingdom values and not think of them as upside down or going against the stream, but right in step with you. And cause us to be these people that you have said we are. As followers of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So the, the Beatitudes that we, we, we looked at last week. Talk mostly about. They point to humility. <coughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit. Who come to the Lord with no spiritual resources of their own. Are, are, are members of the kingdom of God. They're trusting completely on, Lord, on the Lord. Uh, verse 4 tells us that those who belong to the Lord will mourn over their sins. Look, how many times do people brag about their sins? Uh, all over the place, people are bragging about their sins. And they're, and, and they're being bold and, and, and saying really ridiculous things, things that ought not to be said and bragging about it. Those who belong to the Lord will mourn over their sin, their own sin, the sins of the church, the sins of the nation. Verse 5 promises blessing on the lowly or on the meek or those who do not retaliate when they are opposed. This is mostly about our faith in Christ, but it's a, it's a spirit that that it really ought to permeate our lives. It ought to be who we are when people say things about us, um, anything about us, rather than just reacting. Just stop and trust God and let him take care of it. And be merciful to those who oppose you. Uh, the world looks at a believer who actively responds to opposition. Think about this. Actively responds to opposition with meekness. As pathetic at best, and at worst, just downright <clears throat> sinful. How many marriages are broken up today because women especially, but men too, are shamed into leaving? How can you stay in a marriage like that? How can you, how can you, you you're just being untrue to yourself. Be, be good to yourself. You can't really do good for others until you take care of yourself. Get out of that marriage. When there's no biblical reason 
for doing so. When we are merciful, we are considered pathetic. God considers us blessed. Verse 6 says that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Jesus was referring to those who long for God's kingdom, that all the injustices of our day. So look, if you're going to fight, fight more for another person than you do for yourself. Trust God for yourself. But these are people who long that things are done right. And that, and that injustices are addressed and rectified. So you can see a progressive movement in the Beatitudes from an inner humility to a longing for God's kingdom to be realized. That movement will continue in the four Beatitudes that we will examine today. But, look, always think about this. As we, when you you're, you're, do an expository preaching, you examine the text. You, you try to figure out what he's saying what it means for us today. But, but always remember this. We have to come to the scripture and allow God to examine us through the word. So, as that process begins, we'll jump in in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Do you know the difference between grace and mercy? My goodness, many of us attended the funeral yesterday for Neil Boyd, who... You know, it was part of our, our family for a long time. And just so sad, Neil, at 29 years old, with the Lord, confident that he knew uh, Jesus Christ. But my goodness, it, it, I found it just ironic. Clarence Hardison, who got up and introduced, said the very things I'm about to say with grace and mercy that I'd been planning to say. And, and, and the music was the same as we were using this morning. Uh, in Christ alone, in amazing grace. Um, it, do you know the difference between mercy and grace? Look, I, sometimes I don't like to make too much distinction because all of these words kind of overlap. These, these, these gracious these gifts from God that are given to us and they're, they're sort of used interchangeably in Scripture. But sometimes it helps to distinguish a little bit as well. Um, grace is an undeserved gift. It's, it's something that God gives us that we do not deserve. When, if you were to stand tomorrow, and, and look, 29-year-old Neil Boyd is in the presence of the Lord. If you were to stand tomorrow before the Lord, what would your hope of heaven be? Would you be thinking, oh, I just, gosh, I hope I was good enough, you know, I, I hope... I hope that when God weighs my good works, he'll outweigh my bad works. I know I've done some bad things, but I've really done a lot of good things too. We, we, there is no hope in that. None of us can be good unless God in his grace extends salvation to us. We have no chance of standing with him for eternity or being with him in heaven. And grace is an undeserved gift that was given to us through Jesus Christ. It, it, my only hope of heaven is to claim Jesus' blood as the sacrifice that was paid for my sins. Uh, those who repent of their sins or acknowledge that they are sinners and have no goodness before a holy God and who believe that Jesus died in their place are saved and blessed. God looks at our faith and counts it to us as righteousness. That's his gracious gift to us. Uh, God's grace is a gift that we do not deserve. And God's mercy is a withholding of judgment 
that is deserved. Look, if you have done something to, to harm another person and you've been caught red-handed and the other person has power to, uh, uh, to, 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 to come back at you with retribution because of, uh, uh, of what you have done to him or her, you may plead for mercy. You say, please be merciful. I'm sorry I did this. I was wrong. Um, I do not, as a human being, deserve to be with God in eternity, in heaven. I deserve, rather, to be punished for my sins in hell for eternity. And if that language is offensive to you, I'm sorry, it's the language of Scripture. And far better that the doctor tell you the full story about your, your condition, right? God says that we deserve punishment. If we are to escape judgment, we need God's mercy as well as His grace. It's a withholding of His judgment that is due. That's really more Jesus' prayer on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Don't strike them down in this moment. Be merciful in this moment. We know that most likely the centurion who saw Jesus die came to Christ and there were others, the other sinner on the cross, but a lot of those people were never saved. But in the moment, he prayed for mercy. God's mercy to us, to think about the fact that he has not judged us as we deserve, ought to bear fruit in the lives of his followers. Those who have received mercy naturally extend those who have received mercy naturally extend mercy to others. Clarification, we don't naturally do any of these things. These are all supernatural activities that the Lord works through us. But when we see what God has done for us, then we ought to be merciful in the same way. This is, is closely tied in to the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. You may remember the story. A king calls many of his servants in. He says, okay, it's time for you to pay your debts. And one of them owes an, an enormous amount. I mean, in the millions of dollars. It could be a million or even millions of dollars. And he pleads for mercy. And the king says, okay, I forgive you. Your debts. You're, just go. You're done. He goes out. Sees a man who owes him less than 100. Maybe more like 20. I tried to get the figures as close as I could in my study. But just a small amount of money, especially in comparison. And the man says, please be merciful to me. Well, what, is, what should he do? Of course, he should say, you have no idea. I've been forgiven a far worse debt than that. I'm going to forgive you this debt. Instead, he grabs him by the throat, throws him in prison, and says, be there till you pay me. Some people go to the king and say, listen, this is what happened. The king calls him in and he said, you wicked servant. I was merciful to you. Ought not you to have been merciful as well? And he threw him in prison until his debt was paid, which would never be paid. Never. How merciful. How merciful has God been to you? In forgiving your sins. How many things have you done in your life to other people? Or secretly in sin? That have never, you've never been called to account for. You're a believer. 
God has forgiven you. How merciful has he been to you? Have you extended the same level of mercy to those who have wronged you, who owe you, who disagree with you on any number of issues? Would you say that your life is characterized by mercy? It's not our tendency to be merciful. But of all people, believers ought to extend mercy to others, to believers and non-believers alike. Here are a few questions just to see how you're doing in the mercy department. Are you, are you patient or easily angered? Maybe I should say easily outraged. Because we are so outraged. Count the number of times you hear the word outraged this week. Count the number of times you are tempted to be outraged this week. I, I just don't use that word. I say it makes me furious. That's what I say. You know? so I'm better than no, no. Are you patient or easily angry? Gentle or harsh? That's one of the things that he talked about. That, that these devices that we have make us harsh. Why, why do they make us harsh? Because you, you say things with, with the keyboard that you would never say to a person's face. But it starts to bleed over, doesn't it? Are you pleasant? Or demanding? That may be personality and just because you want things done doesn't mean that you're demanding. And just because you're laid back doesn't mean you're pleasant. Are you pleasant or demanding? Are you trusting or suspicious? This is a tough one, isn't it? Because we're, once again, we're, we're just... The culture just drives us to be suspicious. And I know that if you trust people today, they are going to take you for a ride. And not a ride you want to go with. I get that. I understand. But still, do you expect the best in others or do you expect the worst in others? Where's your heart? You know, especially if you're a believer, if you're constantly suspicious of others, one day you're just going to look up and say, what have I, what, what have I done? What, you, let me tell you what you did. You allowed the culture to tell you how you ought to interact with other people. Do you overlook wrongs or are you vindictive? I don't get mad. I just get even. Yeah, whatever. Is your life characterized by humility or feelings of superiority? Uh, most likely if the first one and the last one kind of go together. If you are outraged, you are automatically superior. Right? If I can just be outraged about something, then I'm better than these other people. I heard this so many years ago, and you can say it in, in, in any way you want to. You don't make your candle brighter by blowing someone else's out. But that's all we do. We just, look, we're just... Inclined to go around and blow everybody else's candle out. Except for our crew, you know, our posse. Man, we're, we're tight. Because it's us, us against the world. No, it's, it's you against yourself. That's it. And what happens when we 
embrace the mercy of God through Jesus Christ is that as followers of Jesus, we ought to be characterized by being merciful to other people. The merciful, made so by their merciful master, will receive even more mercy. And the full kingdom and here and now as well. Look, one of the reasons is selfish. I know it is. But one of the reasons I seek to be merciful is because I need mercy. I desperately need mercy. And I'm telling you, it's these principles, these biblical principles, the way God has designed life to work. Even if you're not a believer, like I say, if you're generous, you will receive not. I'm not talking about greedy. If you're greedy, that whole thing's off. But if you're merciful to other people, you will receive mercy. And sometimes people will put you down and take advantage of you. But God is looking out for you. If you're a follower of his, God is looking out for you. Be merciful. In verse 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. This precise wording only occurs here in one other place, which is in Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Now, it's, it's Psalm 24, 3 and 4 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament or the Septuagint. The Septuagint was, in the years after Alexander the Great conquered so many people and the Greek became the common language all over the the, the, that empire, his empire, which became the Roman Empire. Um, <clears throat> then the Hebrews, who were scattered all over the place, decided to translate the, the Old Testament from the Hebrew and Aramaic, a little bit of Aramaic, but primarily from the Hebrew into the Greek language. And so the New Testament writers, when they would say, it is said in the... And, and they would point to an Old Testament verse, they would draw from the Septuagint, not from the Hebrew. So that's why sometimes when you read, it is said, and you go back to that verse, it's like, oh, this is a little bit different. Well, it's because it's an extra step in the translation process. So here, um, Matthew, who is writing this gospel, is using the Septuagint when he goes to uh, the Old Testament. I'm going to be reading from the Hebrew, which confuses the mess out. Just forget everything I've said in the last two minutes, okay? Three minutes. Look, with all of this in your jumbled up mind now, look at Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Now, now, now look, there's so much in Scripture that there are little connections. People look for these really weird symbolic things in Scripture and the Hebrew code or whatever that was called where... You know, Donald Trump's election and stupid sayings in the Oval Office were somehow in the Old Testament in the Bible, you know, written. It was all in there. Things that, things that happen uh, today. Just no. But there are connections. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Where is Jesus teaching this sermon? On the mount. On the mount. And the mountain, as we talked about last week, also refers, reminds us of another mountain. Mount Sinai, where the law was given to Moses. And now, Jesus, who gave the law to Moses as God, is given the full spirit of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? 
And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, so here's the point of Psalm 24. The only other place that the same language is used in, 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 in uh, exactly that way in Matthew. Who does not, who ascends the hill of the Lord? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And who is that person? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false or does not lift up his soul to an idol and does not swear deceitfully. In other words, the one who worships Yahweh. And so, think about the context of what Jesus was saying. Those who are pure in heart are those who worship God or those who worship me, Jesus was saying. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who don't worship idols, but who worship the one true God. And Jesus would say over and over, I am God in the flesh. Those who worship Jesus. While there are definite implications of a holy lifestyle in this description of the disciple, the primary focus is relational. Is Jesus your Savior or are you trusting your own good works in hopes of being good enough? To be in heaven. The pure in heart trust Jesus and they will one day see him. One day see him face to face. Verse 9. Before I get into verse 9, let me just say this. Look, if, if, if you're relatively new here and some of this just doesn't make sense. Or if you're new here, you're a pretty good student of the word and you're like, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. Can I just encourage you to hang in there for a while? It may not make sense on one day, but over time, you'll get this, to, to see this big picture that, that is given to us in Scripture. Now, you may not a, a, agree with the teaching, and at that point, I, I would fully encourage you. You know, if you just, if you can't, if you say that's not it, then go some other place. But, but give it some time. If you're discouraged, let me encourage you to just hang in there. And, and talk to somebody who's been coming here for a while and say, can you interpret, decipher some of that mess that guy's saying, would you please? And maybe they can help you. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now look, when I come to this, I would love to have this list of questions like, here's a way to be a peacemaker, such as um, make it easy for someone who is estranged from you to make their way back to you. Don't make it difficult. Don't put up walls. And, and when they come to you and say, oh, I'm really sorry for what I did, you say, well, you ought to be sorry. You know, you're right. I'm finally, I'm glad you admit it now. You see what I was talking about. All the... I had to throw that. I got it in there anyway. But that's not what he's talking about in this verse. Blessed are the peacemakers. One of the primary themes of the Bible is man's need, mankind's need peace with God. Individual men, women, boys and girls. We need peace with God. And the Bible tells us what God has done about it because we can't do anything about it. You know how it is when you're trying to get two people. Look, one of the probably, what, what I hear, maybe some of the cops will come and say, policemen will come and say, no, nah, no, nah, it's not so. But I hear that they really dread sometimes domestic calls because domestic calls can go badly. You know, the fights against each other can, 
can turn on the person who is trying to make peace. And that's really the sense of what he's saying here. Our role as believers, we can't make peace with God, but when God has made peace with us, then we are now his peacemakers. And we do that by sharing the gospel, by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And if David, if I go to David Calvert, who is a believer, but if he were not, and I said, David, I just want to tell you how that you can have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says that by faith we have peace with God. Now, David, is he could possibly say, Wait, you think you're better than me, right? You think I need some kind of, I think I'm a better person than you are. Look at this, this, and this. Uh, When we share the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, it's not always uh, received well. Uh, Peace is an elusive pursuit in a fallen world. Think about what Jesus would say in Matthew 10. 34 through 35. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So is there inconsistency? No. Peace with God only comes to those whose faith is in Christ. And those who refuse Christ often oppose those who seek nothing more than to tell them the good news of Jesus. But again, notice how I have phrased that, how I have put that. Oh, all we're trying to do is tell you the good news. But what comes with the gospel? God's values, which are in total opposition. They're upside down. They're right in the middle, right in the middle of the entire crowd coming this way. And we're trying to say, hey, where are you guys going? You're wrong. You're wrong. Look, there's disaster that way. Go this way. And they're thinking, no, you're the crazy one. So the message carries with it an understanding of God's character and of the ways he has called his followers to live. And most often that is in opposition to the ways of the world. There's no surprise then that Jesus' disciples are often persecuted The segue to the eighth and final beatitude found in verses 10 to 12. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now look, for those of you who think about these kind of things, there's debate between whether there are eight Beatitudes or nine. The truth is the same, whether 11 to 12 introduces a ninth Beatitude or, as I think, it's just an expansion of the eighth Beatitude. Either way, look, you may think this beatitude just doesn't make sense. You understand all the other blessings, but really, blessed are those who are persecuted? Yes. Remember, makarios, the Greek word for blessed, could possibly be translated saved. David, doing his PhD work, ran it down last week. Makarios, everywhere in Scripture, it refers to those who are in the covenant family. Of God. Um, 
saved are those who are persecuted. This blessing often separates those who are believers and those who are not. When persecution comes, a lot of people just walk away, don't they? I mean, I thought following Jesus was going to help me realize my dreams. It just seems like he's against me. What's up with that? I'm, I'm out. I mentioned last week that the Beatitudes are grouped in pairs. The, the one who is poor in spirit or humble will mourn over sin. And, and it goes, I didn't point every single one out, but look at them. The first goes with the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, now seven and eight. Uh, in this last pairing, the one who shares the gospel of peace and encourages men and women to trust Jesus will often find opposition to the message, sometimes an active and aggressive opposition, not only to the message, but to the messenger as well. And the blessing is promised to those who are persecuted for the right reasons. It's not for those who do wrongdoing or those who provide a tactless uh, presentation of the gospel. Man, if you're saved when you are late teenager, early adult, you will give some pretty tactless uh, presentations of the gospel. I used to tell people right and left they were going to hell. and I, I mean, I didn't mean it. You know, I was like, no, no, I mean that in love. But they didn't see it as, as, as that. So some of the persecution I experienced in the early days was like, you know, it was immaturity. And I learned how to be a, a little more gracious, although Jesus at times was very ungracious, you know, he just told it like it is, but he's, he's Jesus, he gets to do that. Then the Apostle Paul did it, so somewhere we're going to run out of people to say, well, it was them, not us. But you know what I'm talking about. An arrogant presentation of the gospel that draws persecution is not the blessing that is promised here. When you rejoice as you are persecuted for righteousness sake, you will find yourself in some pretty elite company. God's servants have often been persecuted for telling the truth, which convicts the hearts of those who who hear it. They don't like hearing the truth of God. Often because it, it goes against it, just it, 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 it puts its finger on their sins, even the ones that nobody else knows about. People get upset about things and you're like, where did that come from? Well, there's something else going on there. When you read the Beatitudes correctly, you realize by the time you get to, to the end that this life is not for the faint of heart. Jack and Elsie and Jay and Ellie and, and, and Jack. And we were all talking back there this morning. Not all of them were there. Some of us were there and we were talking about getting old. It's just no, it's not easy. It's not easy except for Kathleen and Jim and Joy. That's the only ones. And Joy, you're not old yet. But uh, it's, it's it, we just have to thank God for, you know, the ease that which these people are coming through. Most of us, it's just difficult. The same is true for this life as a believer. It is not an easy life. And some people seem to be just fine, but for the most of us, it's hard. It's for those 
that the Lord is called and who trust fully in him, even though these kingdom values fly in the face of the cultural norms of the day. The only way that we can live in the ways that Jesus described, the only way is to be called to be a son or daughter of God through faith in Jesus and to allow his supernatural strength to cause us to live as though we were already in the kingdom, which we already are. We are already in the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to end our time this morning by looking at the contrast, acknowledging the contrast between a life lived for self and a life lived according to these upside-down values of the kingdom. First, one, it is natural to want to be known and accepted. It is supernatural to find your identity in Christ. Look, I, I really struggle with this word find because you could just as easily say to lose your identity. In Christ, they're both very accurate. To lose and to find your identity in Christ. It's not enough for most people to just want to be accepted. They have to be applauded. Especially if it's values that go against the biblical values. It's like you have to not only accept this, you have to affirm it. That's very natural. It is supernatural to find your identity in Christ. Second, it is natural to follow your heart. It's supernatural to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Every time you pray, Lord, make me like Jesus, you're asking for the cross. Do you know that? And the cross that we think we're going to pick up is often not the cross we end up picking up. <clears throat> Satan is a master of blindsiding us. Well, I think if he gets me, it'll be this. What do you not understand about blindsiding? You never see it coming. And furthermore, it's one thing when Satan hits you in your weaknesses. It's another thing when he hits you in your strengths. What? You think that I misled you? Honesty is so incredibly important. The cross that we bear is partially walking in the middle of that mass of humanity coming this way. Misunderstood. Follow your dreams, follow your heart. You can, you, you can piece it in there somewhere, but it's really not the message of Scripture. It's not. Unless your heart is totally given to Christ and you found your identity is in Him and in and, and the cross of Christ. Third, it's natural to hold grudges. It is supernatural to forgive and especially to forgive without being asked. You're thinking of somebody, I'm going to guess. 
pray in your heart just right, Lord, help me. I don't have it in me. Help me to be merciful just as you've been merciful to me. Number four, it is natural to seek, to seek, well, to us seek too, but it's natural to seek to attain more and more and to hoard. It is supernatural to learn to be content with what you have. See, the poor in spirit thing is, it's more spirit than poor in material goods, but they kind of, kind of go together oftentimes. Um, if you're seeking just to make the best life, you know, please, please, please. It's not funny. It's not funny to say he who dies with the most toys wins. It's not, that kind of stuff's not funny. It's, it's sinful. I got my own stuff. Look, I'm not, it's not, I'm not pulling the superiority thing on you here. It's because I don't worry about it. And even if I don't say it, sometimes I live it that way. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, man, I just need this. If we just get this, we'll be satisfied. If we just, it's supernatural to learn to be content with what you have. That's what the Beatitudes, they're not about. Follow Jesus and he'll give you your best life now. It's not that at all. Number five. It is natural to excuse, to justify to downplay sin. It is supernatural to mourn over your sin. And seek spiritual power to overcome it. By the way, let me just say on this last one. Having is not wrong. It's not, this, it's not having that's the sin. It's just wanting more and more. And being controlled. Being possessed by your possessions. That's what that point is about. Scripture makes it clear. The rich. God has made them rich for a reason. They're to be generous and share. Nothing wrong with sin. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And, and look, it is sin is very natural, but it's also natural to excuse our sin. This is right from the beginning. Blessed are the mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin, not, not excuse it, not justify it. It is supernatural to mourn your sin, seek spiritual power to overcome it. Six, it is natural to protest when you have been wronged. <clears throat> it is supernatural to suffer loss willingly and even joyfully. Man, if we just lived like Jesus called us to live. When somebody wants your coat, give them your shirt too. You know, I, I forgot exactly how he said it, but... Somebody takes you to court, don't fight it, just let them have it. Just, just, just suffer wrong for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom's sake. We're not, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm not, I'm not saying live exact. I'm just saying there's a whole mindset. It's natural to protest when somebody has done us wrong. It is supernatural. To suffer loss willingly and even joyfully. And last, it is natural to seek fulfillment of your lifelong dreams. It is supernatural to be confident that you will see Jesus face to face. And that's really all that matters. If you're not living 
with eternity in mind. And I'm right here with you. I'm preaching to myself. <clears throat> if you're not living with eternity in mind, then the Beatitudes don't make sense. <clears throat> at all. And if you are living, following Jesus, then there's so much more than most of us are willing to, to acknowledge because of the way that the culture tells us, this is how you got to be. <coughs> Stand up for yourself, do this. And, and Jesus says, just let me take care of that. Just trust me. I'll be everything you need me to be. Which is why the whole thing is really about pursuing Christ. And when we pursue Him, all of these things fall in place. Let's pray. Well, Father, this is a ridiculous kind of language to the world. And frankly, it's ridiculous to some of us because... We have found ways to make our steps that align with the world be spiritual. We have found ways to make fleshly attitudes and pursuits spiritual. Forgive us, Lord. Father, may I acknowledge that I am... The biggest offender in this room. I, I, this is not natural for me, for any of us. We fall on your mercy and we ask that your mercy make us merciful people. And we live according to these upside down, against the grain, upstream kingdom values. And may we see Jesus. We follow your ways in Christ's name. Amen. Today's benediction uh, is Paul's final greetings to the Corinthians, something written and passed down 2,000 years ago and something that he probably could have wrote to us directly today. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.